Hey everyone, how's it going? I hope you're all keeping really, really well. This is Connor Devine speaking. This is my podcast, Money and Plants, and you're listening to episode number 43 of the show. Hope everyone's doing well. We are now in the month of May, and this is May's edition of the podcast. If you didn't catch episode number 42 of the show, I had a brilliant conversation last month with Dr. Tommy Wood about brain health. Tommy Wood is one of the world's leading neuroscientists and it really was, uh, for me anyway, I thought it was a really interesting conversation. They spoke to him for about 45 minutes and the feedback on that show was fantastic. I'm really interested in health and improving my health. For me, I still train every single day. Um, I think it's easier maybe for me because I've come from a period in my life where I was pretty ill and my motivation right now is to try and stay as fit, as strong, and as healthy as possible. So health subject matter is something that I cover often on Money and Plants. The other big topic I'm interested in is people becoming more financially literate. What does that mean? It means that I think it's better that people try and understand what's going on around them more in relation to finance and business, the economy. You know, even right now, if one of the big subject matters that everybody's talking about is the cost of living crisis. Uh, inflation, prices are going up and up and up. The shopping basket uh, in the supermarket has increased significantly in the last 12 months. Our mortgages, uh, if you own a house and you have a mortgage, your mortgage payment will be going up now um, each month as the central bank interest rate increases. Uh, It's likely that over the next 12 months, interest rates are going to keep going up. And the people that I'm speaking to, which is economists and investors and bankers, reckon that interest rates might tail off around two and a half to three percent. Big question for you then is how will that impact your life? How will it impact your finances? And these are some of the topics that I speak about on Money and Plants because as I also own a debt business, so for any new listeners I own GDP Partnership along with my business partner. If you want to check out what we're doing it's www.gdpni.com And in that business, we have primarily two businesses. We have a debt advisory practice, and we also then have a funding business, which is called Clearpath Finance. So over the last probably 20 odd years in my entrepreneurial career, I've really had three reinventions probably because I trained, I'm a a chartered surveyor, so I've trained in property and real estate, spent the first 10 years of my business life in private practice. But over the last 10 years, as I set up my own business, Uh, I have reinvented myself in the debt advisory space. So I have a real good grasp of insolvency matters and understanding debt. And then in 2016, I launched this funding business. I didn't really know anything about finance, but I wanted to understand more about it. And I ended up setting up a funding business. And over the last six years, we've actually brought over 300 million pounds to the Northern Ireland economy through new finance. So that's been a really interesting experience for me personally so financial literacy is important to me because i have met hundreds of people in the last 10 years who have ended up getting into all kinds of debt problems and what i can share with you now is that you know debt problems are are extremely difficult and similar actually to an illness because people generally try and you know keep their debt issues to themselves they don't like to share them often even with their partners and their spouses and i have to tell you that Uh, it can lead to some uh, incredibly difficult situations for people once they get themselves into insurmountable debt positions. It can be really, really, really traumatic and actually it can lead to uh, severe illness and breakup of relationships and all kinds of stuff. So pretty morbid subject matter. But in this podcast, in this episode of Money and Plants, I'm back speaking to one of the most popular contributors on the show over the last two years, Mr. Jordan Buchanan. Jordan is a trained economist. He is the chief economist of PropertyPal. So anyone who is or has bought a house in the last three or four years will know who PropertyPal is. Check them out, www.propertypal.com. PropertyPal pretty much is the leading residential property portal in Northern Ireland. They have some tremendous data around there. And the website actually continues to improve and it's, it's one that I'm on um, pretty regularly actually because like a lot of people in Northern Ireland, I'm really interested in the property market. So 
what I've done is every six months, I kind of like to check in with Jordan again, just to see what's going on in the housing market. Is house prices increasing? Where are we at right now? What's going to happen in the next 12 months with the housing market? And what a time actually to check in because we've had sort of the whole sort of pandemic challenge in the last two years. Thankfully, that whole scenario seems to have passed through and we're coming out the back end. Thank God for that. Um, But now we're in a really tricky situation from an economic perspective because inflation is playing havoc with our households. And also house prices and the housing market has went through this sort of mental boom in the last 12 months. We have had a housing boom. But what's going to happen in the next 12 to 24 months? Are we going to see a crash? Some experts are predicting a housing crash in the UK in 2025. It's not that far away. I know house prices in Northern Ireland in some areas have went up 10, 20, 30% the last 12 months. Totally unsustainable. So without further ado, why don't we all listen to this conversation with Jordan. Jordan has his finger on the pulse. He knows what's going on. And I'll wrap up as usual at the end of this conversation that I had with Jordan earlier this week down at probably one of the coolest offices in the country. Property Pals offices are very cool. Anybody following me on Instagram, go and check them out. Let's roll the tape. So Jordan, here I am back down at HQ, the Property Pals offices in another camper van I think so um, if you go to my Instagram you can see but amazing offices and I'm back today to talk about the housing market actually but whenever we talk before I had record it's been six months since I've been down speaking to you about the housing market and we're probably two years then post the onset of the pandemic if it kicked off around March April time mm-hmm. 2020 and I've already admitted this that I sort of got it wrong I thought that the housing market was going to go in a to a bit of a tailspin. It probably did sort of stop land registry closed for a few months at the beginning, but then it really took on a life of itself. And probably to start off, because what I want to try and get from this chat is a bit of an overview of the last two years, what sort of has went on up until where we sort of are now, and then what we might be looking at over the next 12 months within the housing market in NI. So just your own sort of overview, probably, for the last 18 months yeah well good good to be back again connor I'm, I'm always surprised you keep asking me to come on to these things but um no i'm, I'm delighted to be here and yeah i'll try and give you as much of an update as i can sort of thing with, with where, we're, where we've been and more importantly where we're going with this so as you said i mean initially when COVID hit you you certainly were not in the minority there of people thinking you know how can the housing market possibly do well whenever we're about to hit the biggest recession of a generation we were told ministerial briefings unemployment was going to hit 10 percent and at this start, we didn't have the furlough with the self-employment scheme. You know, that had never existed. Nobody, a lot of people didn't even know what the word was sort of thing. So it was sensible at the time to be thinking, you know, this is clearly going to have downward housing implications. I mean, history has shown us very clearly economic uncertainty and housing markets do not go very well together. So, as you said, convincing, land registry was closed, surveyors weren't going out, lenders pretty much, if you didn't have a 15% deposit, said, look, we, we really can't lend, the uncertainty is too high as well as obviously managing their service pressures of moving staff to work from home and things like that. So basically the market effectively dried up for three months and then whenever it reopened, really all I can describe it as 24 months work done in about 18 months and the overarching summary is too much money chasing too few houses. That yeah. has really been what's driven the market. I think it's been, it's so it's so dynamic and so interesting in the housing market because, you know, I said this this morning to someone but there is a sort of a scenario thing. We're just so interested in bricks and mortar. And I don't know if everybody wants to be a property investor or own mm-hmm. five by lets or they want to always improve their home or move <clears> house. But there is this fascination, I think. Um, and I suppose the, the data would, would, would back this up. I mean, in Germany, a lot of people rent homes. Sure. It's 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 not it's very normal to rent your home for a long so. period of time. But in, in Ireland, across the island, we, we want to own our own property. and. Is that, what's your sort of thoughts yeah. on that ownership mentality? Yeah, you're very right. I mean, it's very much a, certainly a UK, almost some parts of Western Europe, as you say, different housing systems, different housing structures, largely led by government policy, have a big influence on that. But in the UK and Ireland, we very much have a property owning democracy. I mean, you look at 
any sort of big survey done. I mean, there's a good one I I can refer to a lot in in the stuff that I do. I think it was it was produced by Santander, and they they tend to update it fair, fairly regularly. But it kind of asks young people in particular, you know, what is what is your goal in life, or what are your ambitions, and you know, has this whole range. You know, I want to have children. I want to I want to get married. I want to go travel, see the world. All all these range of things. But housing and buying a house always seems to come out as the number one issue. It seems to be ingrained in the mentality that the key to success is, is, is owning a house. You know, other countries, as, as you touched on, you know, certainly the German culture and, and, and certainly Berlin sort of areas where the, the rental market is a, a much more prominent feature. Other parts of the world, Austria and Vienna model, those type things, you know, it, it's just a very, very different sort of structural perspective on, on how people view housing. And I think the important thing is that will eventually change the more and more people are priced out of the housing market. You know, particularly your first-time buyers today and the requirements for deposit levels. And when you see the, the current wage rates relative to where they are, you know, it's just becoming a harder and harder step for a lot of people to get on the ladder. And that will eventually lead to this change or the societal perspective of actually that that's that's a goal which is not achievable for me anymore. So I'm going to stop thinking in that, in that way. But that requires credible alternatives you know and that so that involves a real upheaval of of an investment in, in in good quality of private rented stock and social rented stock and affordable housing across the board you know it's it's very hard to flick that shift it's just going to become a more and more of a of a disdain towards of people have towards housing because i mean you look at again even sort of in, in the republic of ireland and the elections and you have an economy which can be growing at sort of five, six, seven, eight percent, which is, you know, from an economic standpoint, is clearly very successful and strong. But whenever you can't elect the government because, you know, uh, waiting lists for hospitals are so high or homelessness is high or poverty is high, what matters to people is very different to maybe what economic policy can be aiming towards. And housing is such a fundamental part of that to people that that can change very quickly if more and more are priced out of the market. I think it's probably fair to say that most people do want to own their own home at some point in time. And I suppose that from an investment perspective, given my sort of 20 years in the property market, it's probably most people's main asset, you know, the mm-hmm. most achievable asset that, that they could hope for. And sure. that, you know, you, the, the finance is available via long-term mortgage. The whole idea is that, you know, you buy your home, you live there for 20, 30 years, mm-hmm. and ultimately you pay off the debt and you've got this house worth 100, 200, 300, 400 grand, whatever it is. So. Which for a lot of people is the retirement fund yeah, as so well. It's 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 pretty it's it's I would encourage it. I still think it's a it's a good thing to do as opposed to renting and, and paying rent and, and you know burning money. There's no real return on the investment there. I think the challenge then is whenever the market becomes too hot. Mm-hmm. And I think what we've seen in the last twelve months, um I've been in the market actually. I've I've moved house myself in the last three months I've been sort of threatening to move house over the last two years so I've I've been very much sort of watching what's going on in that marketplace and for example I was looking to buy in Greater Belfast and I was looking at houses that would go on the market on a Tuesday at X and the following Tuesday they were agreed at sometimes you know 50 grand over the asking price Mm -hmm. and I suppose one thing so what in terms of buying your own home, this obsession with owning your own own home, I think it's it's really useful that if you know nothing about the housing market, and most people actually don't, they mm-hmm. think they do, it's probably good to have a friend or someone to reach out to somebody and say, look, what, what do you think is going on here? Because I think at the minute, especially for homes over 200 odd grand, I think the market's sort of very split into sort of first-time buyers, sub 200. Then you've sort of 200 plus, which is sort of family home, bigger homes. Mm-hmm. That market's still quite vibrant. And then anything over sort of four or five hundred grand, I think that's going to cool significantly personally. Um, but I think it's just really a worthwhile exercise because the market is so dynamic that people do take advice and reach out. Because what you don't want to happen is if you do engage and enter the market and buy a property in 12 months time, you're looking at some kind of negative equity position. And we have been there before. It was only 10, 12, 2007, mm-hmm. 8, where that negative equity dirty word came about. And the observations I would have at the minute, and, and the, probably the upper echelons of the market, that if people are too keen or too obsessed and don't take the proper advice, that it could be pushing along that sort of that negative equity door. What, what do you think about what I've said? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's the biggest financial decision for most people's lives is buying a house. And 
Northern Ireland certainly has the scars from 2006-7. I mean, you said a big negative equity. I mean, the average price in Northern Ireland is still 30-odd percent lower than it was back in 06-07. So anyone who bought in that period has, has experienced that and continues to feel that for, you know, that's 15-odd years ago now. So it's it's a really important decision and absolutely take as much advice and guidance and read up and learn as much as you can about it. But I think the sheer nature of the housing market and how interconnected it is to wider sort of economic patterns and macroeconomic volatility it's a very 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 difficult to forecast the housing market i mean we have all these equations and econometric models trying to, to feed in the fundamental drivers of it but history has shown us that doesn't always tend to be an accurate predictor as well so mm -hmm. it's it's just one of those areas where there's a real fascination and trying people like myself are always trying to understand it and look at the underlying patterns to see what this might mean mm -hmm so much of it is also subjective to external shocks and you know even particularly interest rate policy and how that feeds through into lending rates and that ultimately determines how many people there are in the market to buy and how much they're eligible to borrow in order to buy which then feeds through into house prices so and then you've got the supply side drivers you know there's so many different things feed the housing market um but absolutely i mean your, your central point there you know read about it and don't make hasty decisions you know certainly based on you know that kind of feeling where you, you talked on you people get into bidding wars and then they almost get caught in the moment of it and keep going keep going and then suddenly they're they're way above their asking price they maybe haven't factored in what's this going to mean in terms of you know the repayments can i really sustain this level going forward you know that's when you're starting mm -hmm. to get into really taking careful and considered financial advice to make sure you don't overstretch and um, based on almost just the, the exuberance at the time my sort of uh i suppose sort of rule um, whenever I'm, I've moved, I don't know, maybe five or six times in the last 20 years, um, bought and uh, sold, especially when I was just finished university, maybe bought and first moved three or four times the first five or six years and made some money because there was a rising market. But <clears throat> my sort of view on houses is, you know, it's bricks and mortar um, and I don't and would never probably get involved in a bidding war um, because my sort of gut says, look, there'll be plenty of houses. Mm -hmm. and if somebody wants to tear away but i'm not really keen on getting involved in this and i'm a professional property sure. person like it's just i don't think it's a it's a healthy thing i think sometimes you can get sucked into the euphoria and bid and bid and bid because the challenge is you don't know who you're bidding against and they mightn't have any money to bid anyway so it's just uh it's it's not ideal it's very stressful but i think it's 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 a situation where it does require advice and a calm head there's two things I want to ask you about, and I want you're a trained economist, so I'd love to understand your sort of view on these two items and how they interact then with the housing market. So yeah. the first one is inflation, right? So I think inflation is uh, a nice word, but nobody really understands what it means. Mm -hmm. the, the, the primary school understanding would be just rising prices, sure. but there's lots of different, it's very hard to sort of measure inflation and then who does measure inflation and do I really believe them? And then where's the data? Like all that sort of conundrum of stuff, right? So there's the consumer price index, which is CPI. Then there's the retail price index, which is RPI. Mm -hmm. On the from a property perspective, a lot of leases are renewed on RPI renewables retail price index. Mm -hmm. So dogs of five, blah blah blah. But what's the general term for? Is that the consumer price index for? generally most for, prices for what people think about and you hear in the media and day to day yes it's certainly cpi consumer, consumer price, price index so does that include food yes yeah so basically it doesn't include energy uh, no it can't it does include energy right, okay. so basically the consumer price index is it's it's meant to be a representative basket of goods that a typical consumer would purchase um so the ons the office for national statistics in the uk um they have a full team who are doing this sort of every day really and then they're reporting this this statistic monthly basis they're essentially going around all these shops and retailers and providers assessing what the value or the price of the advertised product is how that's changed over time putting that into sort of a weighted basket of where people spend their income so you know food might make up say five percent of, of total spending their energies maybe another five to ten percent and um, how much you spend on leisure facilities hotels all those sort of different things factor into this inflation basket and that overall final sum summary number is produced mm -hmm. every month. Um, so that's certainly the one people pay most attention to. But importantly, that's the one where the Bank of England have their target 
of trying to ensure stable prices yeah. across the UK and their target is to try and get that as close to 2% as right. possible. So this is where I start to, I think it's healthy to be sceptical of lots of things and the CPI, the Bank of England have come out and they're, they're available online in March 2022, the CPI is <laughs> 7%, 7%, yeah. right? Living day to day, I, I think it's far higher than that. And if you look at anybody, any of the sort of political commentators in America and economists in the States, mm -hmm. they're always challenging the Fed's actual rate. So the Fed would come out and say, oh, inflation's about 8%. But a lot of these guys here working, let's face it, that's bollocks. Like, you know, it's 12, 13% in mm -hmm. real terms. Now, energy prices for the gas price for residential homes, yeah. I think in Northern Ireland, went up 56% in the last three months. And I'm always then going, well, if that went up 56%, how... What's what's the weighted? How is that weighted towards the CPI? Uh, like surely the the CPI can't be seven percent. Surely it has to be a lot more than that to reflect the rise in energy prices. You, well, I mean that's it in itself. It's it's that weighting calculation how much you attribute to the change of a certain product mm -hmm. in that basket and how how that weight changes over time and the weights are updated through their methodology regularly to try and reflect the change spending patterns, but. You know, you got to remember as well, that inflation summary number is an aggregate to be representative of everyone. Mm -hmm. Everyone's spending patterns are clearly very different. Yes. You know, so, you know, diesel prices and fuel prices will be an impact for, for people who drive loads of miles far more so than someone who doesn't drive or have a car sort of thing. You know, so it's factoring it all into to, to different elements. But the key things at the minute, which is the big drivers of inflation, is, as you kind of touched on, is food and utilities. So the UK and by extension Northern Ireland is a net importer of all those products. So you know we get a lot of our food from abroad. We get a lot of, or we import all our sort of gas and utilities as well. And the big, big, big problem which the Bank of England is facing at the minute is this is an imported supply shock, which monetary policy can do absolutely nothing to alleviate the pressures of that. So, I mean. I'm not, I'm sure you heard. Obviously, you would follow the news. The, the 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 big dilemma the Bank of England are facing at the minute is, yes, inflation is exceptionally high, so seven percent at the minute. It's expected to get worse before it gets better. That they, they think around ten percent later in so, the year. So they're saying ten percent CPI by the end of quarter four this year. Yeah, yeah, and then they're expecting it to reduce quite considerably throughout twenty twenty three. So the problem they have is when in, when whatever inflation is clearly getting out of control like that, and that's beyond the remit of their target, you know, of ensuring the stable prices, they have to really step in and use their, their sort of macroeconomic levers to try and alleviate that problem. Monetary policy or, or varying the rate of interest and, and their quantitative easing program is their kind of, their arsenary to do that. So we've started to see them tick up interest rates. But the balance of that is rising interest rates increases the borrowing costs as well, which then reduces underlying demand in the economy, which can then put, exhibit the downward pressure on inflation. But the, the real challenge that's coming across them is wage inflation. So because, because obviously inflation is at 7% and I expect to get worse, we're starting to see more and more employees in a really tight labour market saying, look, I need a higher wage uplift to, to account for these rising prices. You know, I can't afford to get food and to heat my house. So, and that, that's what the, the exact problem the Bank of England are trying to avoid because if you get into, into a position where we have high inflation and then that leads to high wage demands from employees as well, then you get this wage price spiral where because... The underlying wages of everyone is growing as well. That then fuels heightened demand in the economy, which then uplifts prices of kind of your underlying domestic inflation, if you will. So then you've got a problem of high domestic inflation and this imported supply problem inflation, which creates this really difficult mix for the Bank of England of how, how they deal with that. So the irony of all ironies was that's when the Bank of England governor had a sort of a sit down interview a few weeks ago. And he pretty much tried to tell people not to go out asking for big wage demands and Same. everyone's going to have to try and deal with the pressures in the next six months. But don't worry, that will largely resolve itself as global problems fix itself and supply chains adapt and inflation will come back down to target. So we've said don't ask for that inflation or that close to inflation wage rise because it's going to add to the problems we're kind of mm -hmm. facing. So inflation, obviously everything's increasing in price, mm -hmm. but what relationship then it would appear that there's been no real correlation between rising inflation and the housing market because the housing market has sort of been booming over the last 18 months well, inflation's been rising but is there any well you can i mean you can think of the housing market rising prices is rising house prices as well you can think of it you know we always talk about house prices as house price growth 
because people think of it as an asset and they're is appreciating that part value. of the CPI, is it? There, there's different measures. Okay. There, there, there's other ones. There's one called um, CPIH, which includes housing costs. So it's, it's, it's very difficult and right. convoluted. But, you know, you can think of house prices, house price inflation as well, because mm-hmm. it's, it's the same principle. It's a right. rising price for something which consumers purchase. Um, so it, it, it absolutely, fe- the, the biggest way it feeds in is how the rate of inflation impacts the central bank's policy around interest rates. So that's that's where I wanted to, that was my next point. Okay. I wanted to ask you then, so I understand you've clarified the inflation scenario because with house, house price inflation, obviously, so everything's <clears throat> gone up, including house prices. Well, so that's kind of inflation. Before we go to the interest rate one, just to say as well, you know, the, the cost of living crisis, which is kind of very much the, the, the topic of debate at the minute, you know, how do we address this? That's as a result of the inflation crisis because, generally speaking, wages are not getting that level. I mean, there was data out this morning there, actually, on, on wage levels in um, at GB level, and it shows the average wage settlement is now around 7%. Now, that is getting into the problem territory for the, the, the Bank of England because clearly employees are going to their employer and, and getting that wage uplift. Um, but like everything, you know, that's a headline figure which distorts the underlying trend because public sector workers are getting one and a half percent at the minute and that's why there's so much strike action exactly yeah, yeah, and, yeah. you know private sector workers are getting around eight percent but mm-hmm. again you go into it the actual regular pay growth is around four percent mm-hmm. but there's a big uplift in bonuses particularly in the finance sector yeah so it's a real it's a real sort of changing mix of where people are getting us and like everything you know everyone's experiencing the current pressures very differently but the, the irony of or kind of the, the really strange policy mix that we're in at the minute is you know we have kind of the tightest labor market in years or decades but we also have potentially the biggest real terms payfall in decades as yeah. a result of this inflation pressure so that is really what's causing the the concerns at the minute and that's why if anyone's read the latest bank of england's kind of economic assessment it's all but saying later this year we could very easily be in a position where we're flirting with a recession mm-hmm. if we're not technically in it so just on after a period of like 25 30 years where interest rates were coming down we've started to see interest rates rising in 2022 mm-hmm. um and just just before we leave inflation but another sort of catchy uh line that i seen recently from the bank of england was that um given the inflationary pressure on the economy and on households mm-hmm. we have they're now starting to see the sharpest drop in disposable income since records began which yeah. is 1964 yeah. So that just means that households now have less money to spend since records began. This has all happened really quickly, like in the last sort of six months. Um, I know even from a business perspective, working with uh, construction clients and renewable energy clients and people who are building and making things, the the prices have continued to rise. I spoke to someone this morning, May 2022. He doesn't see that that increase in rising stopping for another month or two yet. Mm -hmm. So um, I just... Just on interest rates then, uh, how, so basically the Bank of England have acted um, and, and why, why, why then have they increased interest rates and what connection has interest rates with the housing market? Sure, so interest rates is kind of their main policy lever when they vary the central bank's rate of interest, when they put it up, particularly that will reduce demand in the economy. So basically it makes borrowing costs more expensive. So if borrowing gets more expensive, people are going to borrow less and hence there's going to be less spending across the economy. So the interest rate mechanism is really to try and cool down an economy, which particularly is experiencing high inflation. So by cooling it down, you'll reduce the demand, inflation will hopefully come down and you may start to see a slight uptick in unemployment and an increase in spare capacity. That's kind of the the mechanism of why it's meant to work. And then the housing market side of things, that are, are, are an increased central bank base rate means lenders will then obviously start to increase their mortgage lending rates as well. So as it gets more expensive to borrow for your house, you know, all the, the lenders affordability tests then clearly will say, well, you know, the rates at this level, so your monthly cost to service the mortgage has gone up by this level, if you have a variable rate mortgage, of course. Um, which then very simply means people are putting more towards their mortgage cost and... So they may be eligible to borrow less in the first instance, but um, they also will have less disposable income to spend on, on other aspects. So it very much has an intrinsic link with, with the housing market and particularly with house prices because lenders obviously play an absolutely critical role in, in the housing market. And you know, very simply, if, if people are eligible to borrow more money, in a lot of cases, people may borrow more money 
and that then feeds through in the, in, in the to, to increasing asset prices or rising house prices and that's very much something which has been a symptom of the last decade where we've seen this real reduction in interest rates feeding through into rising house prices so it's it's complicated because there's so many different parts of the market so the housing market so i totally accept and get that if interest rates start to increase people's regardless people might still want to buy that particular house mm -hmm. however they don't have the repayment capacity within the household exactly. to tick the back the boxes of the mortgage criteria so that's that's mortgages and that's the housing market mm -hmm. however i was reading an article yesterday in reuters or maybe the financial times that you know even if interest rates go up another 50 basis points it's still really, really cheap to borrow from a commercial perspective for businesses, so private equity funds and all the rest of it. Interest rates aren't at five, ten, fifteen percent like they were in the eighties. Sure. It's still so it's it's not overly No, truthfully, truth, I think this has been a wee bit overplayed at the minute because of kind of what you've outlined there. I mean, the economy should not be in this semi permeable state where interest rates got to sort of sub not point five percent instead there for 12 years you know that's not a healthy position for any economy to be in and that's kind of the, the fragile position the uk economy was in you know it lowered interest rates after the financial crash of 07 08 and by 2020 as we were approaching COVID, we did not have that sort of monetary policy firepower in the locker there you know the in periods of economic uncertainty where they maybe want to reduce interest rates to try and kickstart demand they didn't have that choice then because interest rates were so low i mean Truthfully, I think they should have acted a lot earlier but, and but, started the increase but, rates in 2017, 18, 19. But that's another criticism of the Fed in particular, who is the de facto sort of uh, mm -hmm. leader of, of monetary policy nearly globally. Everybody looks to the Fed and the Bank of England, for example, is that they kept rates so low for 10 to 12 years. So Wall Street and the private equity firms are just borrowing billions of pounds and so we've seen this sort of bull market and the stock market yeah. and the housing market has boomed everywhere and blah 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 so lots of people are are basically holding the central banks and saying you get this it's one of the questions i said the bank of england last week you know why, why do you think the central bank has got it so wrong where this idea that inflation was transitory 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 for the last 18 months and then all of a sudden oh well it's not transitory now so we need to do something mm -hmm. so i think you know it is difficult and it is complicated but I, I would accept that criticism of central banks where they just got this transitory inflation thing wrong. Industry should have moved up a lot sooner than say this year, even last year. What, what's your what's yeah, your view on that? Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, but to be fair to the Bank of England as well, I think some of them have kind of alluded to that as well. You know, with hindsight's clearly a wonderful thing. And, you know, the economy was still in a fairly fragile position in 2017, 18 as well. Relative to where we are now, absolutely, it looks like they, they've maybe acted too late. Now they're having to, to accelerate or, or tighten monetary policy much faster than than they maybe otherwise would have because of this real inflation pressure. And the big thing which the Bank of England are trying to do, again, that inflation target, yes, they absolutely need to try and get it to the 2% target, but they also have to try and anchor expectations of where inflation is going. So if the likes of employees think, oh, it's going to get a lot worse, that will impact their decisions today. You know of how much of a wage they're asking for so by, by stepping in and raising interest rates now or, or perhaps you know increasing it by another 50 basis points that sets a very clear market signal we will keep in increasing interest rates to get this under control to reduce inflation so that is going to be a short-term pressure so it's it's, it's really difficult because truthfully the bank of england are now in, in probably the most challenging time of of any of their tenure if not the whole bank's existence because they're facing this this trade-off at the minute between really high inflation driven by a supply chain or supply side imported shock but they're also facing the prospect of a stagnating economy now that obviously isn't their central remit and i mean that's what boris johnson and and kind of the the, the chancellor exchequer would say is we need to grow our way out of this problem but you know the central bank policy is or the, the bank of england's policy is kind of at this crossroads now where if it raises interest rates too high the whole likelihood is it will lead to a recession and the pain that that will feel across society but tandem to that we've also got a period now of fiscal tightening going on so we're seeing these pressures really right across the board at the minute i mean again reading between the lines of what what the, the bank of england governor was kind of saying last week monetary policy can only go so far so the cost of living crisis that a lot of people are feeling at the minute kind of has to be over to the treasury to determine if they're going to start spending a little bit more particularly to help the households who are experiencing the pressure to a greater extent than others because even as you kind of touched at the start of this conversation everyone's experienced it differently and the last two years since covid the big 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 difference about this recession versus any other time certainly the last 70 years 
wealth has actually grown as a result of the rising asset prices over the period. So we've seen this real divide in the market where kind of mid to high income households have saw their wealth levels grow. Low income certainly haven't seen any of their, they, they, well, they don't have a lot of those assets, be it in the stock market or be it in housing. So they haven't seen their wealth grow. But in terms of the day to day spending, mid to high income households have saved in in the region of 200 billion pounds of additional money in the bank account since COVID. Low income households have not saved that level. So the, the pressures inflation the minute is very much hitting that kind of low to mid income group yeah. in society, whereas the mid to high income, are, you know, they've kind of got the savings reserve in place. They're, they're, they're just going to cut down on some spending or save less each month. I think, so, I think, I think the impact of everything that's happened in the last two years has been very disproportionate mm -hmm. upon different sort of parts of society. So the low to poor middle income sort yep. of group has been really hammered. Um, and I think that gap, which Eric Lonergan talks about in Angrynomics around inequality has, has been exacerbated in the last two years in terms has. of the rich have got richer and wealthier and the poor and those run out of money have got poor and they run out of money. But one thing I wanted to, I was listening to switching the dial a wee bit. I was listening to a football podcast last month, and just in relation to interest rates and central banks and increasing interest rates on a football podcast. Yeah, uh, it was a. It's niche. It was a, yeah, a, a, the transfer window um, podcast, a brilliant football podcast. But the 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 topic was about the finance in football, okay. and the guy Robert, the Italian expert, was basically saying. The problem with the likes of Barcelona and all these clubs are so leveraged Highly with leveraged, debt. Yeah. And if there's any movement in central bank base rates, say the three, four or five percent, well, they all go bust overnight. Yeah. And I think that is a huge challenge for central banks as well, because if they do jack rates up too quickly and too abruptly, a lot of these balance sheets become insolvent. And that, that's a real issue. If you look at Salt Lake, which is bought, owns part of Man City and mm -hmm. own, owns other football clubs and the Chinese have invested in a lot of football clubs, like there's so much debt in society now that any kind of increase in rates aggressively puts a lot of these businesses football clubs everything else in the in the real real doubt yeah i mean so the, the thing says what we've talked about thus far is clearly around the impact of rising interest rates on the household the sector housing market yes well the household, the household sector, sector yeah. so how much consumers yeah. are going to yeah, be impacted yeah. you're obviously talking about the corporate side yes. which interest rates feed through much quicker into that because you say those who have loans um, tend to be on more variable rates, so that can pass through quicker. Whereas on the household side, first thing to say is, I mean, the household sector is definitely less sensitive to interest rate rises than it was 15 years ago. Yeah. Um, for, for a range of factors, I mean, the first thing to say is, over the last five years, 90% of mortgages taken out are fixed rate. They also are increasingly seeing a trend towards longer term fixed rate mortgages. So they have the Bank of England estimate the average shielding time, which basically any interest rate change how long it would take to actually feed through um, by the time the person has moved back under the variable rate mortgage is about three years. Right. So any any immediate change in interest rates won't actually feed through on that side. And actually on, on Bloomberg, I, I saw a fascinating chart, which I didn't know um, last week, which shows the total stock of floating mortgage debt um, is around £300 billion across okay. the UK. The total stock of, of deposits in bank accounts is around £900 billion. So any interest rate changes, presuming that lenders then increase their savings rate, may actually have a net impact of boosting consumer mm -hmm. spending because actually the people who are benefiting of that are those with savings. the savings in the account, whereas mm -hmm. the people on mortgages will, will not feel that directly straight away. Mm -hmm. So it, again, that's a different dynamic, which, mm -hmm. which we weren't used to 15 years ago because we didn't have people locked into fixed rate mortgages to the same extent. But on the corporate side, as, as I kind of touched on there, those changes in interest rates can feed through much quicker clearly higher repayments and then then the, then the challenges that faces with balance sheets right okay so look um final sort of point we're we're cracking on really good here over half an hour which has been really quick um year on year i see in one of your latest property pal reports you've said that house prices are continuing to increase in northern ireland five percent i think from this time last year so say march april time last year to march april now yeah. they're up five percent um What's your prediction then? We're talking sort of around May, June, mid-2022. How do you see the next six months playing out? Do you think that, where do you think the data, is? Yeah. What, what's going to look like between now and Christmas? And then even if I can ask you 
from Christmas to the following June. So the next twelve months ahead, I know it's crystal ball mm -hmm. period, but what what's your thoughts on the local housing market? Um. Okay. So yes, our our, our kind of all properties index at the minute has has cooled to around five percent year on year. That's lower than even the kind of the government one would say at the minute, but it it, it takes a lot longer to come out um for, for a range of reasons. But uh, the first distinction to make is new builds is a very different market because they're experiencing the price pressures at the minute of material uh, inflation and supply chain disruption. The, the, the first thing I've noticed is a big divide or diversion in the, in the rate of increase in house prices for new builds versus resales. Resales at the minute is sitting at around sort of four and a half percent. New builds is around 17 percent. So big difference there already and, and the pressures on new build delivery and, and housing costs, it's very hard to see how prices of new new builds are going to settle. It's it's really linked to those sort of wider macroeconomic trends. You know, when is inflation going to stop getting to the level that, that we're starting to be concerned about? So truthfully, I, I really can't answer that. But at the minute, I, I do foresee new build inflation staying high, certainly for the rest of this year before those inflation pressures subside. Just, just on the new build, there's just, there's just such a lack of stock and lack of houses being built anyway. So that... You know, the, the, and there's still probably there's probably not as many people looking to buy new build houses, but there's still going to be a lot of people who want to buy new build properties. Yeah, because most of these new builds are all semi-detached houses for the most part. You've got some detached in there, but predominantly it is mixed development stuff. Sure, three bed semi, four bed yeah. semi stroke detached ten, tends to be the mass market rollout ones, but um, and they're mostly sort of sub definitely sub two fifty odd, and some so it's sub two fifty that market, isn't it? New build. Well, the average the average less. new build we have is about two ten. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um. So, w where do I see it going? I mean, the point you made there that supply demand imbalance, which I've talked about constantly for the last two years, I'm sure everyone's heard about. You know, one, we're not building enough houses, but two, there's not enough houses coming on to the market. Demand metrics still seem exceptionally high. You know, they are cooling undoubtedly, um. But whilst that exists. It's still going to experience this upward trend in the market, you know, and it's going to keep upward pressure in prices. I mean, the scenario we touched on earlier, you know, the bidding wars, that is still happening to, to, to today. And um, so next six months, I, I, I put it gone to my head. I think by the end of the year, house price inflation in Northern Ireland will be of all properties will be sitting around sort of two percent, two and a half percent. Next year, I think the real those cost of living pressures that we've talked on, you know, the reduction to real disposable incomes. Are really going to be felt over the next six months, which I think will feed through into weaker housing market conditions in early twenty twenty three. So, if again on the interest rate, so much of that is dependent on what happens to mortgage rates. The minute uh, the central bank interest rate is around one percent, generally speaking, mortgage rates are somewhere depending on your level of deposit. Obviously, are somewhere between two and a half and three percent. That's still ultra competitive, uh, and I still think at that level you'll see lots of mortgage lending going on. If interest rates go up to sort of two, two and a half percent, and that feeds through into mortgage rates of around four and a half, five percent, I think certainly at that point you'll start to see mortgage lending cooling considerably because people are going to be stretched. There's international evidence. I mean, we've started to see that in New Zealand already, where mortgage rates there have kind of hit four and a half percent, and that's already feeding through into weaker price growth or falling prices, actually. Um, so my kind of central forecast for 2023 would be on interest rates currently staying around sort of one to one and a half percent. I think you're talking about kind of a stagnant market next mm -hmm. year. You know, prices will be flat, could potentially dip a little bit, mm -hmm. but I think you'll actually see it more reflected in weaker transaction numbers than you will in falling prices because, you know, prices, change in prices reflect the properties which are transacting in the market, not, you know, all properties that exist. We only really move into falling price territory whenever you start to see lots of repossessions and people unable to afford, to afford the repayments and defaulting. And then obviously that's when you start to see the, as, as we experienced in 2007, there's no immediate signs that repossessions and, and, and debt levels look of concerning levels. Mm -hmm. That could change obviously so, if interest rates. So that's a good point. We're, we're not seeing that obviously I own a, a debt advisory practice and we've, we've sort of been in that space for 12 years. So we, I don't really see, uh, that negative equity sort of scenario kicking off the way it did post GFC. However, what we do see is the corporate debt um, situation changing yeah. fairly abruptly. I think the insolvency practitioners haven't seen any real traction in the last two to three years, but we are starting to see movement from banks who are starting to move in people who are maybe defaulting on some business loans, commercial loans. So mm -hmm. we, we, we're actually relaunching our debt practice in the next four weeks because we do think 
um, it's a pre-insolvency okay. restructuring business. So we we do see lots of firms now, particularly in construction. For example, if you're building housing, maybe uh, well, you're you've a contract that delivers social housing, for example, and the cost of materials has maybe went up a million quid, so the mm -hmm. project is now losing money. Yeah, that, if you've if you've signed contracts in the last six months and you're tied into a project that loses money, then clearly it's a problem. So we're starting, we, we think we'll see a lot of that now, um, sort of working through over the next six months. I would agree with you around sort of the housing market. I think generally, I mean, everybody's talking about inflation now, mm -hmm. no matter who you meet from your parents to, you know, anybody in the school, whatever they're going for prices are. And I think that's driven by the media because we're all on social media and people's talking about inflation all the time. So I think over the next 18 months, two years, people are going to continue to tighten their belts. But I do think the fundamentals of the housing market here are quite strong in that sub 200, there's still going to be people, there's always going to be people who want to buy a house, want to move house. Um, I just would, would urge people not to get involved in bidding wars, to take advice, question, make sure your ducks are in a row in terms of, you know, can you repay the mortgage? Have you enough money, you know, to sustain monthly payments, mm -hmm. um, deposits and all of that. So I think people should do even more homework and just, you know, as I said 10 minutes ago, you know, there's going to be plenty of houses like, so don't get involved in that frenzy would be my view. Yeah, yeah. Well, my kind of final comments there, certainly in the inflation piece is the forecast from the Bank of England say it's going to subside next year. I hope it does. You know, clearly the the economic path and the prospects for everyone really needs that too, because this is a real challenge for some households. The Bank of England's monetary policy and quantitative easing position at the minute can only do so much to, to stem that. Part of that as well will will be reflective of what other central banks, notably the Fed, do across the world. Although they'll claim that it won't. Um, but I think there's certainly a real requirement now that the Chancellor cannot wait until his next sort of October budget. To step in and help those low to mid income households because there's clearly targeted support isn't targeted support being the the, the the key point to that to help those households which are really going to struggle i think the mid to high income households as you say they'll tighten their belt you know they can just afford to to, to to save a little less or maybe don't go out for as many meals or wherever they choose to spend their money but those low to in, low income households do not do not have that safety buffer they're the ones who i think are really going to need the support in the next sort of few months whether the Chancellor steps in, you know, I clearly have no idea, but I think I, I find it remarkable that he couldn't step in whenever if inflation is going to hit 10% and we've seen these sort of cuts to disposable incomes, the level that we're talking about. Um, and on the housing market side of things, yeah, your, your point, just take advice. I mean, this is, as, as even by the nature of this conversation, it's so hard to try and accurately predict what will happen. So take the financial advice, take your, speak to your mortgage broker, your financial advisor, whoever it is, don't rush into any decisions and just, yeah, don't get caught in bidding wars if if you're not absolutely guaranteed that you can safely afford those repayments you know, for what that for what that could get to because that's the last thing you want to be in, obviously. Cool, and that's a nice way to leave it. Jordan, it's been six months ago. Um, We spoke about this and we're now middle of 2022, so we'll see you in six months and see <laughs> if we were both wrong. Yeah, no, no doubt we will. That was a conversation I had with Jordan Buchanan last week down in the absolutely fantastic setting of Property Pals headquarters in Belfast. So there was quite a bit in that. I actually went down um, with the idea of sort of getting into the data and the level of transactions and pricing and all of that. But I suppose the outcome of our conversation, it was more a, a macro conversation around some of the really big ticket items that's impacting our economy right now um, there's absolutely no doubt that you know people are now talking about inflation we're concerned about inflation rising prices um, certainly in the business community I mean the the increase in pricing of commodities and uh, materials and all of that is just completely unsustainable and then in terms of interest rates increasing uh, that does have a material impact on people's disposable income. You know, if it's costing you a mortgage of £500 a month and over the next 15 months, say, for example, that with interest rates increasing, if you're not on a fixed rate, if you're on a variable rate, you know, your mortgage will increase um, every month. So how does that impact you and your family? I think it's really interesting the fact that the Bank of England did come out last week uh, whenever I was speaking to them that, you know, we are now in a situation where 
the level of disposable income per household is the lowest ever since records began, which was 1964. So that's nearly 50 odd years um, that people simply don't have as much money in their pocket at the end of the month than they used to have. So it's a pretty important data point. And I think it's gonna be difficult uh, over the next 18 months. I think uh, my advice to clients anyway that I'm speaking to in GDP is to you know tighten your belt and be prudent uh, you know look at your business plans again and review them and you have to be nimble uh, in business and um, if you're a household obviously I think you should be looking at your sort of monthly spend and work on the basis that you know costs are gonna worst case scenario remain the same but probably going to go up um, every month for probably another three or four months I think the big economic news is that you know the Bank of England is expecting economic activity to dip significantly in quarter three and quarter four. So the last six months of this year, I mean, most people actually think that we're going into a recession. It's probably going to happen. Um, but from a housing market perspective, as I said when I was talking to Jordan, I still think that the fundamentals of the housing market are quite strong. Uh, we haven't been building enough houses in Northern Ireland for. 30, 40 years and actually there's a housing crisis in every uh, developed country more or less right across the world from the United States to Canada, right across Europe, UK, Ireland, Australia. We simply don't have enough supply of houses to keep up with demand. So bearing in that in mind and just simple economics then with the supply and demand side economics. You know, from a pricing perspective, you have to arrive at a conclusion that given the fundamentals are still quite strong for housing, then at that lower end of the market, certainly from first time buyer perspective, or homes under 200, 250 grand, that should still be pretty buoyant. Um, we should still see a fair few transactions over the next 12 months. Uh, I do actually fear for the, the, the higher tier, the top tier of the market, houses over 350-400 right up I think that market's going to cool significantly and I think it already is, it already is. Um, so look some, some really interesting stuff there Jordan was very generous with his time um, I think you should check out uh, Property Pal there's some really excellent reports that Jordan and the team put out every quarter I think I think it's worth uh, keeping on, on top of and if you enjoyed this podcast please share it with a friend if you have a moment or two Maybe you'll even leave me a review. And also, as ever, I'm always interested in feedback. So if you got anything out of this, um, please let me know. Just uh, to finish up, I'm actually going to plug my my business again. Uh, Next month, I'm relaunching my recovery and restructuring business. And I suppose the the reason for that, about 12 years ago, after the global financial crisis, I set up GDP with my business partner, James because there was that many people who were in distress with debt, both from a, a private debt and also corporate consumer uh, business debt. So given the sort of crisis that we're facing now in terms of increased costs, uh, wage inflation, and just a generally more difficult business environment, we're actually launching our GDP uh, restructuring and recovery business again, 12 years later, uh, next month. And the real reason uh, that we're doing that actually is that we think we have a lot of skills in the office and we think that there's going to be a lot of business owners who are going to need some help over the next six to 12 months. So the bottom line is, if you're listening to this and you would like to speak to me about maybe a review or a restructure or just a general conversation around your own business and how you see things moving forward, you can get me at connor at connordevine.com. Check out our website, www.gdpni.com. As ever, look after yourselves. I will be back with another podcast next month. And until then, look after yourself and each other.